Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Detroit's the city of champions. The whole world knows that Detroit is the American city whose products have revolutionized our way of living. And only in Michigan will you find the men and women whose talent made us the arsenal of democracy in wartime and the economic pace setter in peacetime. Took a walk through this beautiful world Felt the cool rain on my shoulder Found something good in this beautiful world I felt the rain getting colder It's where nearly everything American and great came from. The things the whole world wanted made here. The heart, the soul, the beat of an industrial cultural superpower. A magnet for everyone with a dream of a better future, from Eastern Europe to the Deep South. American dream, you came here. The one straight ahead with the green roof? Yep, the big Rococo building, completely empty. Empty, unbelievable. The white one is being rehabbed. There's some money coming in. The one next to it on the right is completely empty. The gray pyramid with the spire on top sold for $5 million. $5 million for that? That's, you can't buy a garage in the Hamptons for that. Basically. $5 million for a skyscraper. It is post-apocalyptic. I mean, it's, it's like a science fiction film. What the hell happened here? Well, it is post-apocalyptic, except for the fact there's 700,000 people living here. Detroit. 2013. Charlie LaDuff is a writer, journalist, television reporter. He grew up here. But it used to be two million people. That was rubber. That guy was steel. That guy was a doctor. This was what made America. The, the road started here. The automobile, frozen peas started here. Credit on a mass scale started here. What was this like just before this? It's 20 years before. It was insane and this one there was like twice as many people here this is a consequence because all the whites went they took their money they took their factories the black middle class maintained for a while and then it got too rough for them so there's little pockets of feral hippies and older black folks a couple white folks some arabs but this is 140 square miles so you're going to get tall grass because it's back to the wild 
it is one of the most beautiful cities in America. It speaks of those industrial age dreams of an endlessly glorious future. You know, the people who built these structures, they were thinking big. They were. They were looking at a new Rome, and they, they built it, actually. It's awesome. Maybe the worm started to turn here, the Packard Automotive Plant. Opened in 1903, it was considered the most advanced facility of its kind anywhere in the world. Huge, epically proportioned. I mean 3.5 million square feet. Now, one man lives here, Al Hill. My name's Alan Hill. Welcome to my home. This room right here is the Forge Room was a former uh, Packard Motor Car Company. I started living here about seven years ago. At that time, I was semi-apprehensive about the place and the going-ons around here, but it turned out it's about as peaceful as the Northwoods. And uh, not having a credit card or a mortgage payment or a car payment is a real blessing. There's a few nails here, so. Yeah. What's happened here in Detroit is unfortunate, but you know, it's a sign of the times. We find out that not only does it take a village to raise an individual, it takes an entire world to support one city. You know, one city's suffering or one community's suffering, the entire world should pitch in and help elevate it instead of sit there and stare at it. People have lost the faith in a lot of things. Part of it has to do with the faith they had in Detroit. It was once an industrial-minded entire world. It's enormous. Yeah, it is. It's about a mile long, maybe a quarter of a mile wide. You've got a pretty good view from up here. Yeah. How many people worked here at its peak? Uh, well, during the war, there was like 33,000 people working here. They went out of business in 56. You know, they brought Studebaker in uh, as a partner, and Studebaker pulled them down. This has been abandoned since the 50s? Well, actually, what happened in 1956, they rented out to various entrepreneurs. There's a shoe warehouse, there's uh, trucking companies, guys who were storing cars. So how long has it been like this, though? Most of this damage happened within the five years. Within the last five years? Yeah. Wow. China had this Olympia effort, and scrap metal went to a high price, so people come in here scrapping. They took the windows out, they just destroyed everything. The place is pretty much open to anybody who wants to come in. Sure. There's a lot of urban explorers, yeah. people shooting music videos, taking pictures. Oftentimes you see a, a wedding party come here, and you know they use this as a backdrop for their wedding. and take pictures, videos of the wedding. Wow. You want to take pictures here. The place, like so much of Detroit, invites it. 
urban exploring, as they call it, sifting through the remains of Detroit's great American ongoing tragedy, photographing them, posing in front of them, is something of an irresistible impulse. Detroiters hate it. All the visitors, like us, I should point out, wallowing in ruin porn. What was this part of the factory? Where are we standing? This right here is where the uh, assembly line was. This was a paint booth right here where they spray painted cars. You can see in the floor where they have the, uh, we can wash away the overspray. Mm-hmm. The uh, assembly line ended at 35, 40 feet over here. And there's bridges here between here and the main building, and the assembly line actually came across through the bridges. You look at a possibility of assembly line about three quarters of a mile long. You're talking hundreds, if not thousands of people all working on the yeah. uh, on the process. Yeah. I mean, this is sort of a kind of, a, you know, it's not a perfect model for Detroit, but it's a perfect model when a big factory goes down. It's not just 33,000 people. That's 33,000 families who are going to be eating dinner out less. Yeah, you got a pointer on that. Most people, I would guess, have no idea what a Packard even was. We're talking about one of the great luxury cars in the world, yes? Yeah, it was the kind of car that everybody uh, uh, would love to have. The kings and queens and every president wanted to ride in one. And popes and uh, Indian chiefs. A luxury car maker went out of business, you know. And then did little did they realize that was a trend that started here in Detroit. And what affected Detroit affected the entire world because it followed everybody home. It might have been 50 or 60 years later, but it started here, and then everybody else gets to experience the same problem that we're having. In another 20 years, this place probably won't be here, and people won't even have any idea of what went on over here. It's hard to look away from the ruin, to not find beauty in the decay. Comparisons to Angkor Wat, Machu Picchu, ancient Rome are inevitable. Magnificent structures representing the boundless dreams of the dead left to rot. Yet unlike Angkor and Leptis Magna, people still live here. We forget that. You tell people you're going to Detroit and chances are somebody from the home team is going to say, be sure to get a Coney. I never really understood that. I mean, I'm like 30 minutes from a place called Coney Island where presumably they know something about freaking hot dogs, right? Maybe the early Greeks or Macedonians who first experienced that golden land by the shore then took what they saw with them to Florida, Michigan, and beyond. Maybe they knew something. They've been doing conies at Dooley's for over 90 years. That's almost as long as the hot dog's been around. And I can't tell you how deep this creation runs here. Deep dish at Chicago, cheesesteak in Philadelphia, you'll find some ambivalence. Not here. How are you, sir? Good. Now, if I were from Detroit, would I be eating this with my hands or with a fork? Probably with your hands. All right. I'll do my best. (laughs) Logistical problems. Mmm, that's delicious. This is the best of my only three Coney experiences. You're open 24 hours. Yes, sir, 24-7. I don't know whether I want to watch, like, seriously drunk people trying to eat this. Oh, yeah, we have a fun time. Is it a skill that you learn over time? Yeah, it takes practice. It's like kung fu, you know, you got to just practice and practice. Exactly. Practice makes perfect. Man, that was good. I think I better have another one of these. Yeah, you should. I'll be better at it the next time. One coney up everything. It seems like a simple thing. Hot dog, chili, raw onion, 
mustard, steam bun. But the delicate interplay between these ingredients when done right is symphonic. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Detroit's problems are well documented. A lot of attention has been paid to a history of spectacular mismanagement and corruption. Detroit is hardly alone in this. Koch era New York, we forget too soon, was a cesspit of mob-influenced corruption. Chicago, Boston, machine politics, they wrote the book. But Detroit differs in that its scandals seem so comically lurid, so surrealistically squalid. The last mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick, is currently serving time in the jug for some of his less hilariously bent behaviors. Through all of it, one man seems to have known what's going on. Adolf Mongo, political strategist, oracle, survivor. He's seen it all. I know what I'm having, but um, I'd love a beer. Miller, Miller High Life. Man, this ain't this kind of place, man. I thought you drank, man. You drinking beer? Uh, what are you drinking? I'm drinking vodka. I'll have, I'll have what he, I'll uh, fold under uh, pressure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll think about a, uh, a burger down the way. You having something to eat? I mean, uh, <laughs> all right, I'll hold back. I will, uh, I will stick with this. Uh, I'll get you your drink and then you can decide. Thank you. I have to ask, uh, you're uh, born and raised in the Detroit area. You're right. An academic star, uh, Marine Corps, uh, journalism. Why did you never run for office? You had to be crazy. You know what? <laughs> they don't want straightforward politicians, they don't last. You gotta be real cold-blooded. Being an elected official is like working for the drug uh, cartel. <laughs> you can't give anybody any mercy. Well, it seems that whatever might be in, in your heart uh, and, and however pure you might be, when you finally arrive in office, somebody brings you a big dossier and opens it up and says, Mr. President or Mr. Mayor or Mr. Governor, this is the real situation. Yeah. At which point it's an, oh shit, 
uh, trying to start making some serious accommodations. Yes. So, Kwame Kilpatrick. What, what went wrong there? Greedy. Just no, great old school. Greedy. He was greedy. I didn't support him in the beginning. And when he was, and I was one of his biggest critics. But when he got in trouble, <laughs> who he called? He called me. Oh, yeah. I should listen to my wife. She said, hey, don't, don't be messing with them. Are there good guys out there who could presumably oh, not a lot of run guys. for office oh, but will win? There's a lot of guys, yes, but they don't want to run. There's a lot of people Why that's out Why don't they want to run? Because you got to take the, the, the bad that come along with it. You got to take the garbage. Why should a right young guy out of a fresh out of law school start thinking about running for anything in the city of Detroit? Yeah, because sooner or later, it's going to be all right. It's going to come. It's going to be all right. It's a tough town. Is Detroit going to turn things around? I could lie and tell you, yes. But you know what? This city's screwed. Only place I've ever been that looks anything like Detroit does now, Chernobyl. I'm not being funny. That's the truth. Abandoned, abandoned, abandoned. But you have to admire the bold, proud, ferociously enterprising survivors who decided to hang on, hang in, and figure out a way to not only survive, but do something extraordinary. There's Tyree Guyton's Heidelberg Project, a delightfully loony outdoor community art project that began in 1986 and now attracts 35,000 visitors per year from around the world. That was a bucking gas right there. <laughs> Just yeah, to turn yeah. it on. Uh, I love Detroit. You know, they got this field mowed last summer. The neighborhood lit it on fire. Another block and more decay. And a liquor store. For this neighborhood, the only store for miles. Just be right back. How you doing? Hey, lady. Hey, how are you? Good to meet you. God bless you. Man. God bless you. Hi, how are you? Such a gentleman and a scholar, man. Can't nobody do it like you, Scotty. Hear me, Doc? See you later. Cheers. Cheers, man. Yep. You want one? That's the benefit of a college education yeah. right there. People seem to like you in this town. Who hates you in this town? Who hates me in this town? Nobody, huh? Politicians? I'm guessing there are a number of politicians and former public employees who, who were not too happy with you. I don't know, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but let's face it, there's a whole lot of people out there who just who could be perfectly happy with just letting Detroit go. It already went! It's gone. Look at this. See all those uh, lilies there? Uh-huh. I call those the ghost gardens. Like, they're all over, like the, the houses that used to be. The gardens still come up. the main drag. Girl, you're wearing the hat and everything. 
a backyard. Thanks for coming. I never had such a good time. A well-tended home surrounded by many neglected ones. An example of Detroit-style entrepreneurship. Greedy Greg's, a do-it-yourself barbecue joint started by these two, Rochelle and Greg. Tommy, I'm Greedy Greg. On the menu, absolutely delicious, straight-from-the-grill ribs and rib tips. But the really good stuff is inside. Superb smoked pork-loaded collards and mac and cheese. Thank you so much. This is perfect. That's good. Bro, I'm going to use this spoon here. It's unbelievably good. What's the mac? The, the greens are incredible. Oh, those are good. So in the greens, is that like smoked ham hock? I can't tell you, you my secret. Well, I'll tell you, those are some of the best greens I ever had, no doubt about it. And this dude's been everywhere. Come on, yes. I've been all over the South, and I've had a lot of greens, and those are some, they're not just delicious, they're luxurious. Big hunks of, you won't tell me what in there, right? I can't <laughs> tell you, <laughs> my secret. Will this kind of entrepreneurship lead Detroit out of its sinkhole? Probably not. I can't believe there's like a, not a line of cars around the corner. That was good. But it's no longer about winning, is it? It's about surviving. There are approximately 80,000 abandoned buildings within Detroit's 140 square mile city limits. What that translates to, unfortunately, is about 14 acts of arson a day, nearly 5,000 a year. That's just arson. That doesn't include the thousands of other types of fires and medical emergencies the Detroit Fire Department responds to every day. With an ever lower valued housing market where you can buy a home for as little as $500, many houses are burned down for the insurance. Many, because angry neighbors desperate to hang on, see abandoned structures taken over by crackheads or drug gangs. With law enforcement stretched ridiculously thin, they resort to burning them out. They won't say it, I will. The Detroit Fire Department is underfunded, under-equipped, often badly and incompetently led, and up against what seems like a never-ending war, a city on fire. Their safety equipment, their boots, their clothes are often moldering and shambolic. But they fight on. This is the second time they've been to this house. If it happens to be arson, chances are no one will ever know for sure. Given the ever-shrinking resources available to the department, most fires can't even be investigated. This fire is out within an hour. And after the fire, dinner. The cliché is that firemen are great cooks. In this case, the cliché is true. Lieutenant Mike Devins and the boys of Squad 3 are cooking up a family meal. Is every firefighter expected to cook reasonably well? If they don't, they catch hell. I really? Mean, Detroit, yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost a perfect society in that sense, because in a perfect society, I believe, everybody should be able to feed themselves and their friends or their family at least reasonably well, and that, that, that if they're not able to do that, they should be shunned and demonized and marginalized. Well, agreed. 
Most of the firemen are known for their cooking. We cook some outstanding meals. We've learned to shop. We've learned to shop with less to feed more. You don't want to be a belly robber. You, you better bring some food back for the boys. Firefighters, in my experience, are a lot like the Marines I've met over the years. No matter how badly led, ridiculously under-equipped, underappreciated, no matter how doomed their mission, they take a bizarre and quite beautiful pride in at least being screwed more than everybody else and doing it with style. They seem to do what they do for themselves. It's not a job, it's a calling. This is where the guys store their gear, and as you can see, the, the gear is very weathered. How old? Oh, this gear's only a couple years old. I mean, it just gets beat oh, up yeah. quick. Yeah. Got one new coat hanging in there, so there's a lucky guy that's got a new coat, but uh, that, that gear's seen a lot of action. Where's this, the fire pole, dude? They took them. Oh, man. In the late 90s, management took the poles out. What does every little boy, you know, from my age, what, was all about Sparky the fire dog and the poles? You know, I used to love sliding the pole, and that headquarters was three stories. So when you were sliding that thing, you had to really hold on because you were going for a ride. The old running board we put up here, we don't use the running board, but this is how many companies we used to have. What percentage of that number are active now? Less than half. And we're fighting a lot more fires. You know, I gotta say, the, uh, the kitchen's looking pretty good. That's one of the best kitchens in the city. Tonight's meal is being cooked by Paul. He's Squad 3's best, they say. He's reading the can. That's a good start. Tonight's menu. Crab cakes with a mix of actual crab and this stuff, sea leg. Maybe you know it from such beloved menu items as California roll. Hey, firefighters can't afford 100% jumbo lump crab meat, okay? You know what this stuff is, by the way? It's fish, isn't it? It's Pollock, yeah. Pollock, right? Yeah. It's a miracle fish. You can actually make beef out of this, too. Or yeah. beef-like beef substance, yeah. <laughs> it should be pointed out that every meal is paid for by the crew on duty. They pool their money and shop as a unit. What's the firehouse favorite by consensus? Oh, steaks, man. Steaks. If I were the, you know, the regular cook here, the full firehouse would be in totally open rebellion. <laughs> Why? First of all, I'd be making stews because it's yeah. cheap. And I think they're delicious. Plus, I'd be trying out like tripe and guts on you guys. I don't know how that would go. That would not go. You'd be eating like Fresh like like Italian peasants here. every day if I was to cook here. That pretty much. You'd have like a big bowl of Plantar of stew perfect. with a big hunk of bread, it's... and that would be about it. I'd be pocketing the difference. <laughs> yeah. Lamb chops seared in the pan, then finished over the grill. Then Caesar salad with chicken. Ever find out, like, how are the other firefighters eating around the city? You'll know, like, at a fire, you'll say, what are you guys having for chow? You ever get tempted to just kind of, like, with the other guys and say, oh, yeah, we had, like, foie gras with truffles and, uh... All the time. You know, Madeira gelée the other day. I'm going to be puking lobster in a minute, yeah. Yeah, lobster again. You know, I keep telling the guys no more lobster. I I just can't take it. We are free to uh, eat? Yes. Nice job on the crab cakes, too. Yeah. Full of meat. Very tasty, Paul. So, if it's not good, you're not diplomatic about it? No, not at all. No. no, no. no. You tell them nice try. A lot of cooks, they look at that kitchen, there's a lot of room, and there's always a lot of spices, our staples are always loaded. You can pretty much make anything in there. It's a good place to be a cook. 
Nice job there, Paulie. Yes, well done, sir. Generally speaking, you eat fast because you never know. In all likelihood, you are not going to get to finish that meal. Well, obviously, Tony's not doing any dishes. I'll do all the dishes. No, hell no. No Won't be the first time, won't be the last. No way, no way. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protest that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. At this point, you may be asking, what about all the cool stuff I hear about Detroit? That's what you're thinking. The vibrant, new, do-it-yourself culture of urban renaissance. Young entrepreneurs, artists transforming the city one block at a time. Where's that? Well, that is happening. Young, idealistic, true-believing, hard-working, creative people are indeed doing their best to bring light and hope and beauty to this greatest of cities. You've got to start with the deeply felt and absolute belief that Detroit is indeed a great city and that it is worth saving. As utterly screwed as Detroit may be, you have to be a twisted, unpatriotic freak to not believe that. Behold the future, Charlie Liddell. What, like cooking in a back alley? Yes. All right. Chef Craig Lightfield has done what many would call a very unwise thing. After working at Gotham Grill and Jean-Georges in Manhattan, instead of staying where the money inarguably was, he returned to Detroit. He's been working to get a brick-and-mortar establishment going by first doing regular pop-ups here at Guns and Butter, tucked into the back room of an art gallery under an overpass in downtown Detroit. And you have, like, a really weird attitude towards food in general. Yeah. What's that? Well, you know, you got liquor, you got cigarettes, you got coffee. <laughs> For all of those things. We're going to eat well. Charlie Ladoff may have a Pulitzer Prize, but his appreciation of fine food and dining is, shall we say... Is that cheese? Lacking. Simply put, he's a Philistine. Warm egg yolk with a generous helping of smelt row on top? Egg with eggs? Yes, please. The Duff scars his like he's at Ruby Tuesdays. You know, you got all these kids flooding into Detroit. Which is good. Right? How's that going to play out? Will there be political leadership in place to manage that fairly? It'll be fine. Everybody likes a nice little thing in an eggshell with caviar on top. Everybody. It's, it's just all about keeping cool. No, it won't be fine, dude. It will not be fine if, 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 if there's not political leadership. It will not. Well, you know, sometimes political leadership grows up out of what's happening. And we don't have any political leadership, and this is happening. Are you an optimist, Charlie? I'm an optimist. You're an optimist. I'm, I'm, here, in this, I'm here in this garage with you. Chilled summer soup with melon and a tomato lemon verbena broth. So we have summer soup, all the melons from the market. The coriander blossoms we actually picked from a farm right in Detroit. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Good, isn't it? Mm. I would describe that. If may I, chef? Is a, is a light, airy gazpacho. 
delicious. I wouldn't even go that far. The Duff sees an opportunity to make a melon gimlet. A little gin in it. Putting gin in your soup? Well, the soup is delicious. Let me let me try it. As, let me try it as a drink. Uh, you're right. You're right, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was chef and you poured gin in my soup, I would have stabbed you in the neck with a fork. I'm dying somewhere inside. You're like the worst case scenario customer. The customer. Hell. Next up, smoked mussels that are lightly steamed in white wine, aromatics, and butter. Served in a lobster broth with fried onions, honey, and yuzu. Quite delicious. Baby Greek salad with beets, tomato, and feta. All sourced locally. A tribute to the Greek diners where Craig grew up eating with his family. This guy could be running a 300-seat restaurant in Vegas, and here he is in Detroit. Well, guess what? That's a heroic thing. The headaches are less. You're appreciated here. No. This, no, this is... Yeah. This would be considered a foolhardy venture in the chef world. Guess what? We like good food, too. We're not space aliens. People say, they often say, thank you. Like, we just moved back from Chicago. We lived in Chicago the last six years. We lived in LA the six years. Thank you. This is exactly what we wanted. What you've done is counterintuitive. I mean, there is a sort of conventional career path for chefs. Right. Instead, you decide to go to Detroit. Hell yeah, not yeah. Detroit, come back home. People think I'm crazy for going back to Detroit. <laughs> then another tribute to classic Detroit. Potato-filled pierogi and kielbasa simmered in white wine, thyme, and fennel seeds. Finished with burr fondue and burnt butter pine nuts. Followed by locally sourced lamb. Cooked perfectly. Topped with sour cherries, mulberries, toasted pistachios, coriander, and yogurt sauce. In what way does opening a fine dining restaurant in Detroit benefit the majority of Detroiters? How is it not making it better? How is sitting back not doing anything making it better? How is it only buying my products from Detroit or farmers in Detroit not helping Detroit? I'm supplying from Detroit. I'm hiring people from Detroit. Everybody here lives in Detroit. If I were asked the same question, I said I would say I don't know. I'm doing what I do right, well. Exactly. Uh, I'm doing it at a place I love, and I am demonstrating that that yet another person gives a about Detroit and believes Detroit. in it enough to be here. You're 100 percent right. I never really thought about it until you asked that question. It's like, it, it, to me, it's just obvious. What will the Detroit of the future look like? Whatever you may think it should look like, it will probably taste like this. Somewhere in this unassuming neighborhood, one can sit down for an excellent meal. But you won't find this place on Yelp, and unfortunately, I cannot tell you where it is exactly. Why not, you ask? It's not exactly a restaurant, you see, which means it's not, strictly speaking, legal. What is this place? Pupusa House? I call it the Pupusa House. Mm -hmm. I mean, like a pupusaria, I guess you could say. It's a cultural thing. Traditionally, they serve out of their houses. Yeah. And it's just something that people ring over and they come. So this is, this is about as traditional as it gets right here. It's just like calm. This is what's called a papusa house, literally a house. This one serving home-cooked Salvadoran meals. Once a living room, now the main dining area. The woman running it, we can't show her face, but she's been here for 10 years, serving a mostly Salvadoran clientele looking for a taste of home. 
as tamales. First up, a staple done a little differently than the norm. Tamales wrapped in banana leaf and steamed. Mmm, that's delicious. Next, the dish of the house, pupusas. Tortillas stuffed with ground pork or chicharron. You can get pupusas in Nicaragua, in Guatemala, Mm -hmm. but for some reason, Salvadorian pupusas get the most respect. General consensus seems to be they're the best. How come? I I would agree. George Azar is our Detroit fixer. He's been coming here with his friend Joe for years. This is what makes it right here, boom, is this. Cortido. Cortido. Cortido, it's just a pickled slaw. Salsa. And I'll do this, but I don't know if you're up to this one. What are you saying? I don't know if you can hang, man. Is it a manly thing? It, I mean, it's turning into it, it seems like. <laughs> Mexican spicy, Salvadorian, not spicy. That's true, though. They don't like it. They don't do it that spicy. Wow. Chicharron? Maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a porky goodness in there for Chicharron. sure. Chicharron is fried pork. Fried pork and then ground with peppers, onion, and tomato. Simple. Taking the liberty of ordering some indigenous Detroit beverages that we've, we've egregiously overlooked so far. That would be burners, which I haven't had. It's like a cross between ginger beer and ginger ale. It's like not as spicy as ginger beer and not as sweet as ginger ale. It's like in the middle. It's my favorite beverage, I see. Yes, I needed this to enhance my street cred in Detroit so that I will be welcome back. Then pollo asado and shrimp and garlic butter. That shrimp head on, thank you very much. This is where it's at. God God lives in there. Butter, garlic, simple, delicious. It's the low-fat butter. It's the good butter. (laughs) That's good. Yeah, that's a love. It's like a big hug. How did you find your way here? Honestly, it's only word of mouth. Yeah, but wait a minute. You have annoying foodie websites, right? True. True. But they're not coming here. They're not coming here. Oh, no. If they walk in the door here, they're like, oh. There are thousands of, uh, of, of, of foodies with ironic sunglasses and fedoras, and they're just waiting to get in here. Oh, we don't want this place to come to the food. I get mad at him when he starts bringing different people really? in. Really? You'd hate a line of people outside waiting you yes. know, a two-hour wait to get in here? Yes, he would. Yes, yes. Yes. I don't want to wait yes, for my place. Who hates money? With her, it's not about the money. It's about keeping the tradition alive. Thank you, sir. What happens when a city goes bankrupt? When it's at the point that it's actually considering selling what's left of itself in chunks? In Detroit, city services are reduced or cut out completely. Fewer buses, fewer cops, fewer firefighters. Answer, they turn to each other for help or figure out how to do it for themselves. Detroit has a reputation as a tough town, but that toughness is about resilience too. The insistence on sticking with it, no matter what. On not giving up in the face of the utter failure of leadership year after year. If the city abandons its parks, and leaves them to become overgrown, eaten like so much of the rest of the city by tall grass and weeds, then somebody has got to do something, right? Meet the Mower Gang. Started by this guy, Tom Nardone, with the simple mission of doing what they can to keep Detroit's abandoned parks maintained. Who are you guys and what are you doing here? We are the Detroit Mower Gang, and we clean up the abandoned parks and playgrounds in this town. Why would you do that? Uh, kids need a place to play. I don't care who you are. You know, if you're under 10 years old, I think you deserve some justice in this world, don't you think? Yeah? Yeah. How did this thing start? I guess I started it. I bought a lawn tractor when the city announced they were closing 72 parks. What's the difference between open and close? Meaning yeah. they're just going to stop maintaining That's it? That's it. They or do they actually physically shut it up? No, no, they don't physically shut it up because there's no money in here. You just know? physically shut it up. Yeah, yeah they, just, they just take the trash barrels away and, and stop mowing. 
crazy. It's, it's a strange place, Detroit. When we're done here, it will not look like a nice park. Uh, but still, a playable park. Yeah, and a visible park, so if you had kids, right. you could see what they're doing in this park. It's safer. All right, well, let's cut some grass. Yeah, come on, you'll like it, it's fun. in my beer. <laughs> in Detroit, approximately 40 square miles have been reverted to basically unused green space. In many cities, so-called urban farming may be looked upon by cynics like me as an affectation. Here in Detroit, it's not. With nature taking back the landscape block by block, the urban farm is really the last line of defense. D-Town sits on the western border of Detroit. Where are we? We're in the largest park in the city, which is called Rouge Park. Did you just come in and start digging, or did you have permission to come in? We had permission to come in. Was that difficult? It was very difficult. We negotiated with the city for two years, and part of the difficulty was they really didn't know what hook to hang our request on. They're used to developers coming saying, I want to build a strip mall or I want to build a parking structure, but they're not used to people saying we want land to build a model organic farm. Malik Yakini started the farm with the goal of providing greater access to fresh produce in areas that grocery stores have completely abandoned. That's basically all of Detroit's inner city. Other than Whole Foods who just came in? Yes. Not a single national food chain? No. No, in 2007, Farmer Jack closed his last stores in Detroit, and that was kind of the end of the big chains in Detroit. This is subsistence farming, not cash crop. I mean, you're not, you're not going to be sell, you're not no, no, anticipating still. selling outside of Detroit. There's greater demand in Detroit than all of the farmers locally can supply. So first, we want to supply that local demand in the city of Detroit. To what degree do you think that this model can be replicated in and around the city? Well, clearly, we think urban agriculture has great potential. And one of the things that we have in Detroit is access to huge amounts of land. If we're able to produce even a small percentage of the food which is consumed in Detroit and circulate the revenues from that food within our community, then we're able to create a more vibrant, healthy, economically strong community. So we think it has tremendous potential. in the Detroit of the future. There's no question, is there, that Detroit will come back? In one form or another, a city this magnificent, this storied, this American cannot, will not ever disappear into the weeds. There are too few places this beautiful for it to be allowed to crumble like Angkor or Rome. 
Someone will live in a smaller, tighter, no doubt hipper, much contracted new Detroit. But who will that be? Will it be the people who stuck it out here, who fought block by block to keep their city from burning, who struggled to defend their homes, keep up appearances as all around them their neighborhoods emptied? What will Detroit look like in 20 years? Or 50? That's not just a Detroit question, that's an America question. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 